Good morning, welcome. You're now with the Eucharistic Revival Podcast at St. John the Evangelist Catholic Church. Uh, my name is Father Rick Nagel. I'm the pastor here at St. John's in Indianapolis, Indiana. And this is Thomas Del Coco, uh, my first guest on my first podcast ever. Come to find out it's Thomas's first podcast ever too. So we're a little bit um, uh, beginners in this whole thing, but we're excited to be able to share um, some great news in the world today about our, the Eucharistic Revival happening in Indianapolis in July of 2024 with the National Congress. Uh, to, to welcome you, I want to share with you where we're at. We're in the um, this Church of St. John the Evangelist, which is the oldest Catholic church in the city of Indianapolis. Uh, we were established in 1837 by German and Irish immigrants coming to build the railroad through the Midwest. Um, and it's a, just a great thriving parish. Uh, we're 2,500 parishioners with uh, about 60% of our parishioners being young adults between the age, ages of 18 and 35. So we're very blessed to have a lot of weddings and baptisms here and just growth of young families, um, as well as a campus ministry that's thriving um, on a nearby campus of IUPUI, Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Uh, why are we doing a podcast on the Eucharistic Revival? Because this church is actually going to be the host church for the revival um, in July of 2024, next summer. And uh, we're going to be the Adoration Chapel. So St. John's is, uh, sits about 1,000 people, and imagine that the Adoration Chapel alone will be packed with people coming to worship our Lord during the Congress. Just to the south of us, two blocks, is Lucas Oil Stadium, which is where uh, all the main uh, masses will be held, as well as the main uh, events. It, it seats about 80,000 people, so we're looking forward to being uh, a part of that here at St. John's. Uh, as we uh, are in revival ourselves with the, with the Holy Eucharist, uh, we wanted to do something that would share some of the stories of our own parishioners here at St. John's and their conversions and reversions back to God as church and the Holy Eucharist. And so that's the reason for the Eucharistic Revival podcast, which we'll be sharing then these wonderful stories. We might say, as St. Peter did, that we want to give people a reason for our hope. And so we today begin that with Thomas Del Coco. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you very much. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you for, uh, for inviting me here, Father Rick. Uh, thank you and St. John. I know my wife and I were, uh, were very excited for the Eucharist revival coming through Indianapolis. Um, we're pretty excited. So it's quite an honor to be asked uh, to be on uh, the very first podcast here at St. John's. Absolutely. And it's, it was an honor. I got to witness the marriage of uh, Thomas and Casey. Um, in 2018? That's correct, April 2018. And right here behind us in this holy sa uh, sanctuary, and uh, they were married here as a young couple and have been wonderful parishioners. Uh, Thomas's wife, uh, Dr. Casey Del Coco, has a thriving um, natural family planning um, practice here that works with mothers, young mothers, and families. Um, and just uh, does a fantastic job. And Thomas, uh, we, we want to have you share a little bit about your background and coming up to how the two of you met and uh, your family life and um, start with a foundation of who, who are you, Thomas? Yes, absolutely. Um, so I grew up a little, little small town uh, east of Pittsburgh, a um, little small farm town. Um, for pretty much lived a, about a normal life as you could. Um, come from a devout Catholic family. Parents are very Catholic. Italian Catholics. Um, you know, I um, grew up going to uh, Catholic school up until about the third grade. Um, and then when our school shut down, I was kind of forced in, into the public schools. And I um, was in the public schools and stayed there for through high school. 
And then I was fortunate enough to attend a Catholic college. Um, I attended a Catholic college where I got a degree in sociology, criminology. And then I went back to a state school um, to get my graduate degree in industrial labor relations. So um, not long after uh, college, I went into uh, my industrial labor relations uh, degree. I was doing uh, negotiating contracts, mediating, um, arbitrating, uh, and just, you know, everyday HR taxes, um, working for um, a glass company, uh, manufacturing, but quickly found out after about five years that really wasn't for me. Um, had that, um, that moment where I looked in the mirror and kind of just said that, uh, you know, this isn't for me, I need to be doing something different. And I picked up my, uh, picked up my life all within a couple weeks and moved to D.C., and uh, ever since then I've been working in federal law enforcement for about 13 years now. So. Very good. And um, in, in your um, kind of change of uh, career, were you practicing Catholic at that point in time? Um, I was a cradle Catholic, born and raised. Um, and growing up, um, like I said, the faith was very important in our family. Um, but I was a very intuitive kid. I uh, always, always asking why, like most kids, but uh, maybe more than uh, most kids. And, um, you know, we did everything we were supposed to. We went to all the masses received the sacraments we were supposed to, but uh, I never really figured out the, the why behind it. And I was always asking why, and, and there's no one really to, that I blame or anything like that. Maybe I was asking the wrong questions, or maybe I was asking the wrong people. Um, however, I just never got the answer that I was looking for. So after high school, and I went off to college, I continued going to Mass and practicing the faith for probably about a semester, and then I kind of fell off and, uh, you know, I fell victim to the secular world. Um, even in Catholic college, I, you know, was living a life of consumption, um, food, alcohol, sex, just you know, falling well far away from the church um, against everything that I, I grew up knowing and you know, ever being part of. And uh, I lived that lifestyle uh, all through my 20s. Uh, I lived a fast and uh, very depressing, sad, alone kind of lifestyle uh, up until my 30s. Um, um, I didn't start practicing the faith uh, again until well, by this time I was in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, I was on a work trip, I remember. It was uh, in Jonesboro, Arkansas. I was in a hotel. Um, and I was sitting there struggling with everything I always struggle with, the depression and anxiety. I'm um, sitting there standing at the ceiling, unable to fall asleep. And I just remember sometime from my youth, I don't know where I got it, it was Catholic school or my mother or someone said something to me to say a few Hail Marys and that'll, that'll help you fall asleep. So the problem with it, though, Father, is I, uh, as I started to recite the Hail Mary, I couldn't remember the words. Uh, you know, here I was, a cradle Catholic. Um, in my you know, late 20s, early 30s, and I, I couldn't even remember it. And that was before smartphones, so I had to hop out of bed, get on the laptop, uh, <laughs> I had to Google how to you know, say the Hail Mary, and I did, and I was able to fall asleep, and I really never, really never thought anything after it, never thought much more after that. But it was probably about a couple weeks later, um, I was back in Memphis, I was living the normal lifestyle, I was out at a bar, came back, and for whatever reason, I don't know, it overcame me. I, just, I was extremely angry, depressed, alone, and. Um, I just kind of got into it with, with God, just started, just started yelling. I remember I just was yelling, screaming, blaming for everything wrong that ever happened in my life, all the, all the stuff that was happening to me. And I did that to the point of exhaustion. And I remember I was so exhausted, I just I couldn't yell and scream anymore. And I did something that I haven't done in a long time, and that was, uh, that was listen. And, you know, it didn't happen overnight. Like, I didn't, you know, automatically was started receiving the sacraments, going to Mass, but it was that moment where I turned around and I actually started walking towards God instead of away from Him. And, uh, and then I started asking some of the right questions. And instead of uh, maybe, you know, what the Catholic Church, like, why do I have to go to confession? Why do I have to receive the Eucharist? Um, I started asking, well, why are these things so important? 
they were really important to my mother and my father. So uh, why, why are they important? Why did they want me to do that? So that's kind of how the, the process started of my reversion of coming back to the faith. Um, and being, you know, being a, an investigator, being in law enforcement, uh, it's just kind of in my nature that I just wanted to research and I wanted to investigate the faith and see, like, you know, you know what's the reason why this is so important to so many people? And, you know, I essentially kind of read myself back into faith that way. And, uh, you know, through my research, I just said, well, you know, I, I know the Mass. I went to the Mass growing up. I'll go to one. So I went to one, you know, received the Eucharist, and, you know, and then that turned into two. And then it just, you know, kind of went from there. Um, I just started coming back, and then I started doing research. I remember one time I was just like, you know, someone said to me, well, you can't receive the Eucharist with mortal sin on your soul. And I was like, oh, what's that? You know, so I wasn't sure. <laughs> oh. I was like, so I went back again, I Googled mortal sin. I was like, oh, okay, wow, like, I got a lot of that. I got a lot of that. So, and I realized that by receiving the Eucharist with mortal sin, I was, you know, creating more sin. So I was like, okay, so that's kind of how it turned into, I got to get to confession. So I'm like, and then I went to confession. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy how the, how the faith has worked on me. It wasn't, everyone always asks, it was like, was it just like that? aha uh-huh moment and boom it happened and it was, yeah. but, it, but for me it was a little different I know that happens to some people but it was just kind of you know mother's prayers as, as you always uh, like to say are very strong and she mm-hmm. never quit praying for me and it was just mm-hmm. that it was that moment where it just kind of I, I opened my eyes and started peeling the scales off and you know it's a daily struggle it's constant and it, it's still to this day but now that I know that I got, uh, you know, I got Jesus in the Eucharist, I got all the sacraments, I got the Mass, I got this wonderful community of St. John's, um, I no longer have to fight that battle alone. I have the tools to, to go ahead and overcome, you know, the temptations that are daily. Amen. Wow. That's, um, it's so true that the more we know sometimes, then the more we realize that our lives need conversion, right? And that's the beauty of the church, which guides us as a ship that guides us to Christ. It gives us... Um, you know, people sometimes when you get caught up in the, you're like, oh, the church has so many rules and laws that they have to follow. But really, like the commandments are to free us. And you, you kind of figured that out at, at that point in your life to say, yeah, I'm, I'm more free to live the way God created me to be and live in fullness of life when I know what the kind of the boundaries are, but also what, what it looks like to live the fullness of a holy life. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's not a list of things that we can't do. It's not what we can't become. It's what we can achieve, right? You know, and that's the, that's the beautiful thing about the sacraments and the Mass and the faith in itself. Um, you know, I, I always like a good struggle. You know, like I like a good battle, a good fight. And, you know, that's exactly what the spiritual one is. Uh, I mean, it's, it's a harder battle than anything I've ever done in my life, any physically or mentally, the spiritual battle. And whenever I started realizing that that's what Catholic Church was about. It's, it's what we can become, not what we can't be. Um, it made it so much easier to, to, to see the light and to see what the true, uh, the, the real truth is with the faith. That's right. Don't you think sometimes we've, we've kind of watered down the faith, especially for men, and then the culture kind of takes over uh, of men's life? I, I, you know, I'm, I have a similar story of yours being away from the church, and I just know that emptiness uh, my, in my young adult years, and then um, kind of swaying with the winds of the culture. But when you, when you start to realize that the, the real goodness of life is through God and His Holy Church, uh, the Holy Eucharist, our source and summit, um, you know, you start to just really embrace those great truths. It is hard. It's hard to, it's a, it's a challenge to live the fullness of life that we're made for. But it feels like sometimes men have been somewhat emasculated within that. And 
you know, your story kind of says, I, I reclaim my, my authentic masculinity even. Yeah, well, I mean, like you said, the Eucharist, I mean, that's the true nourishment that we're looking for, right? It's Jesus himself. Um, and I remember when I was living uh, in that, the secular life, um, I could never get enough of whatever materialistic things, you know? You could never eat enough. You couldn't drink enough. You know, there was never, and, you know, you kept thinking you needed those things to fulfill you. And the more you did, the further away you got. And, you know, the more lonely you were, the more depressed you were, the more dark you were. Um, and that's kind of the society that we live in right now. It's, you know, it's the, it's consumption, you know, consume as much as you can, instant gratification. And I lived that world and I was part of that world. So I can say that I, I know how much that can get a grip on you. Uh, I can really get his claws into you, but I didn't truly start feeling free. I didn't truly start feeling like a man. I didn't truly start feeling like, you know, the person I was, I was made to be until I started coming back to the church. And, uh, and I finally found that satisfaction. I mean, we all have a God-shaped hole in our heart, and there's only one way to fill that, so. Amen to that. Now, t- tell us a little bit more about your, um, so you were in career, and you're coming back to the church, and coming back to the faith, and conversion. To, you went to confession, so you received the Eucharist worthily, and that was fortifying you, sustaining you. Um, but you had not yet found your vocation. And how did that kind of unfold? Yeah, exactly. So... It's, it, it, it's crazy when I look back on my, on my childhood. Um, I always say that, uh, you know, I didn't choose my job. My job kind of chose me. Um, and where, where I'm going with that is that when I was little, I always, I always wanted to be a protector. I, I didn't quite know what that meant when I was little. I just always wanted to be a protector. Um, you know, maybe become a you know, police officer when I grew up, go into the military. Um, and it kind of followed me through my life without me even realizing it, like even throughout like daily life and even in sports, like every sport I ever played, I always wanted to be a defender, whether it was, you know, play defense, be the goalie, or especially in hockey where I still play to this day. Um, you know, I always wanted to be the role player, um, protecting the, the, you know, the star kind of guys, let them go out and do their thing and make sure no one, you know, no one gets in their way. <laughs> just, it was just always something I it just gravitated towards and I never really liked, you know, the limelight. I always wanted to be the guy in the back and kind of just be a protector. And of course, you know, like most Italian mothers that I know, like my mother, she didn't like that. She didn't like me being the, the guy that was always, <laughs> right. you know, doing the backbreaking kind of work. She didn't want to see yeah. me get hurt. And, you know, and I remember telling her uh, when I was young that I wanted to be a police officer or, or go into the military. And, you know, she just never really kind of, you know, didn't say anything one way or the other. She wanted me to go to college and, you know, do something probably a little safer. Like, you know, like most moms are worried about their baby boys, you know. But... Um, it's just crazy how it found me because I did, I did that path. I did. I went and did something else. And I was uh, in labor relations and I would negotiate contracts and I had to take jobs away. I mean, like I, I had to lay off an entire plant. And I just, it just, it, it was something, it was so repulsive to me. Like I, I couldn't, it, it, I can't even describe that, uh, how hard it was to go to work every day to be the guy that was taken away from someone uh, with being, I had just had this protective nature that I've always had. And like, you know, life's not without a sense of irony. Um, like I said, you know, maybe a, my family tried to steer me away from a life of law enforcement, but then you know, I end up finding it anyways, and I've been doing it for the last 13 years. So Yeah, that's awesome. And then that took you to Miami, right? That's correct. And then you and uh, Casey met online. That's through, right, through. yeah. Me and my wife, we met online. I, uh, she likes to tell the story, and she tells it a little bit better than I do, but uh, I'm not much of a, a technology person, so hence the, the first podcast here. You know, I'm not, it's not <laughs> You're doing really, great. <laughs> it's not really in my uh, wheelhouse, but uh, um, so I'm not very much into technology, you know, online dating and all that stuff, but uh, I, was, uh, I was in Miami, and it was really tough for me because I started coming back to the faith in Memphis, started really getting, um, you know, getting 
some headway and, and getting really strong in my faith, getting away from uh, the sinful life I was living. And then I found out that I was going to be transferred to Miami, which, um, I mean, for me, at least my experience, it was, it, it was really difficult to find a, a strong Catholic community uh, in South Florida. Uh, it was kind of a faster lifestyle, a more mater- materialistic lifestyle, at least from what I'm used to growing up in a small farm town. Sure. And um, I was really worried I was going to start like, slipping away from the faith. And I, I just kind of stopped dating down there. And I was a single guy, and my, my good friend convinced me to, to try Catholic match. Um, and I was just like, nah, I don't know about that. He's like, well, just humor me. He's like, just give me, he asked me all these questions, and he filled them in to his profile just to see if there was any matches, right? So, and he did that, <laughs> and then uh, he's a like, good buddy. Yeah, he was a good buddy. He's a good buddy. He's always been there for me, trying to get me to come back to the faith. And, and he paid the $14 for the month, and um, <laughs> within two weeks, um, I met Casey. Um, she wasn't even on my list because I wanted just to date locally. She decided she was going to date, you know, like she was willing for anyone in the country. And second person I matched with was Casey. And uh, I now live in Indianapolis and I've been married for going on six years. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So. Yeah, I love the, how God works that way. We, we have, we'll have about 80 weddings here at St. John's this year. And the number of people that have met on Catholic Match or another um, kind of social media web, websites, it's phenomenal. But I think part of it is just that you can kind of sort some things out uh, right away before you ever even meet the person to see if, if you feel like it's going to be somebody with your values and your you know what you choose in life. And so... You got, that was, they say that match made in heaven. You two are a match made in heaven through social media. Exactly. And some of you just said maybe uh, it was interesting, made me think. um, And that's kind of exactly what Catholic Match did for us. Um, I was always, you know, like, I didn't want to do online. I wanted to have a good story. And like Casey always jokes with me now, did you want a good story? Did you want a good wife? And I was like, yeah. (laughs) No, so, you know, and and she's like, you got to give God room to work. And, you know, like, I mean, God can do anything. He doesn't need me. But uh, I get what she was trying to say. And on there, there's questions about, you know, church teaching and that you answer yes or no if you believe in them or, you know, like, and I remember answering those. And at that time, I wasn't quite fully uh, in line with church teachings, but I remember answering, like, my buddy's like, well, it's asking if you agree with them or not. And I was like, well, I 100% agree with them. I'm not living it right now. I need, I'm working towards that. But had I would have put no on any of those church teachings, Casey would have, my thing would never even, would never even made it into her, into her inbox. So it's, it's, it's amazing how God works. Uh, um, you just got to be, you know, open and be willing to receive that grace. It's, it's, it's nonstop. Yeah, for sure. Tell us about how the Eucharist played a role in, in, in all, you know, this, this process with um, both your career, but also then um, dating and, and now as a married man, um, what, Tell us how the Eucharist is, is really your source and summit. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the Eucharist, I always intellectually knew um, about the Eucharist uh, with, you know, Jesus, the, the, the you know, body, soul uh, of Jesus in the, in the Eucharist. I knew that intellectually, but emotionally, maybe, maybe not so much when I was growing up. Uh, really didn't have the respect for it uh, that, that I should, that it deserves. Um, I knew it. But growing up, it was kind of more of a, a routine that, you know, the times I would come home and I was away from the faith and I would go to church with my parents for, for Christmas or whatever, I would receive the Eucharist, just didn't give it the respect it deserved. Um, and how that changed me and how, that, how, it, how it works in my life now is when I started coming back, and again, I started doing that research, I started realizing exactly what it was, exactly the sacrifice that was made um, to, to give us, to give us the Eucharist, to give us his body and blood. I started having the respect for it, one that it deserved, 
and two, it started having more of an impact on me when I received Jesus. Now that I was open to it, um, I got some of that mortal sin off my soul, and I was able to receive it um, in grace. It, it started moving me in a way, and I started seeing, I just started seeing things differently. I started seeing it as, you know, my daily protection against what I was about to, what was about to happen. Uh, you know, I know as soon as you go out those doors, you know, temptation's gonna, it's gonna come right at you, and I, I know that more than anyone. It's a, it's a nonstop uh, attack for me. But I always like to look at it as, is the Eucharist is a way of putting on, putting on the armor, putting on the shield to go uh, attack the day, and it's, it's. It's changed me in a way where I uh, recently became a, a minister here at St. John's, and my parents uh, came to visit. And this is just the best way I can sum it up. I don't know if it'll, it'll mean anything to anyone else out there, but like when my mother came in the line and uh, she, uh, you know, I gave her the body of, uh, I met the blood of Christ, uh, you know, she cried. Because, you know, there's this, there's this kid that used to be, you know, so far away from the church. And here I am, uh, you know, participating in the Mass, where it was something where she would come in every Sunday, ask me if I want to go, and i say, no, not today. And it's just, it's continually. I, I can't even, I have so much respect for it. Like, I get, I get overwhelmed every time I, I, I get the opportunity to, to be a minister here at St. John's. And it's just every time I, I, I get to receive um, Jesus, it's, it's, it's that renewing feeling that I had whenever I made that decision to turn back towards, towards God. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that when uh, you know our gosh our parents thanks be to God for faithful parents who you know never give up God obviously never gives up on us but faithful parents and grandparents to pray uh, for their kids to return to the church to come back home and then to, to for them to see that fulfilled has to be just a great joy in their lives but also it's a great joy for us because we we know that we you know being astray for a time kind of messed up and it, that created a hardship for our parents. And I think all the time, my parents both got to be saints in heaven after all. What us nine kids put them through all those years, you know, and we just, you know, they were just sanctified through that um, and chose to be, you know, to take a lot of that on. But uh, like you're, you know, sharing, sharing your parents are so proud and so happy. It, it's, it's, it's one of the things I hear the most in confession, actually, of parents that are really sad um, about their kids being away from God and away from the Holy Church. And, um, and I just continue to encourage them, just keep praying, you know, because parents' prayers, grandparents' prayers are very powerful. Um, we should never give up on that. And I think this year, the revival is just such a great gift that the Lord has given us in the United States uh, to, to do just that, to, to be praying for those uh, family members and friends and coworkers that have left the church. You know, there's that this all kind of started, uh, I'm sure you're aware, through the, that Pew uh, research study where... They, they discovered that, you know, I forget exactly the percentage, but it was like 60% of Catholics have walked away from the church. Um, and then there's this, this great bunch of Catholics that are coming to Mass that are seemingly faithful that don't necessarily believe in the real presence of Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity in the, in the whole Eucharist. So what a gift that God has given us in our day, you know, 50 years since we've had a Congress in the United States. That great gift today... Um, for us to be able to share our own conversion stories and how the Eucharist uh, does sustain us, helps, is helping us on our journey to become saints, um, but also to encourage those that sometimes I find that when people have walked away, they just it's they don't even know why they walked away. It wasn't really even intentional. It's kind of a slipping away over time and and kind of living a secular secular cultural life. Um, 
but uh, yeah, just to nudge a, a friend uh, to bring up a conversation with a family member during this year to be praying for them um, as our parents pray for us to return home can be very powerful. Yeah, I mean, I, it's 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 heartbreaking to hear those those statistics, you know, about not believing in the, in the true presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. Because uh, I mean, at least in my at least how I feel, Father, like. Uh, everything falls apart if you don't believe that, right? Like, if that's not real, then none of it's real, right? Like, if, uh, if, if we can't believe in that, then, like, I can see why you would walk out those doors. And that's just, that's, that's heartbreaking to hear those numbers because I, I was one of those people. Like, I, like when I said, I understood it intellectually, but I didn't really understand it. And there was no real reason for me to be here to, to celebrate it because it, it, it was a symbol. It wasn't Jesus in the flesh in himself. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, that's why I'm really looking forward to the, the Eucharist revival, especially coming to Indianapolis. I mean, how amazing is that? I, you know, before I was married, I'd never even been in the state of Indiana, Father. And, you know, <laughs> here I am. And uh, this is You're my, a great future. We love having you it's, here. It's my, perf- uh, it's my permanent residence for, for good. And, and now I'm going to get to celebrate the Eucharist revival. This is a, it's an amazing time. It really is, uh, you know, 80 to 100,000 they're predicting uh, coming for the Congress itself. Processions coming from four parts of the United States, clear across the country. We'll land right here at St. John's, the Holy Eucharist. Uh, four different processions will culminate right here in July. Um, I mean, the whole thing just blows my mind to think about what God wants to do in the heart of this city to revive the city as a whole, but also then the whole nation, you know. And so we're just praying that, um, you know, that, that people will be open to grace. It's, there's no question that God's just showering grace upon us. Uh, upon, you know, our, our parish here, upon the city of Indianapolis, upon the nation. Uh, this nation was founded on, on Christian values, and it's time to re-embrace those values. And one of the best ways we can do that is to re-embrace the Holy Eucharist, which is the, the center of all of our Catholic lives, uh, the fortification of our Catholic lives to live it out. I think if, uh, you know, I think I've heard it said before that if people really knew what was happening in the Holy Eucharist and um, transubstantiation, what's happening in the Holy Mass, they just, I mean, their mind just be blown. They couldn't possibly fathom what they were receiving. And so we all have probably some more work to do to let God more deeply into our lives, uh, to really, uh, to embrace this, this unfathomable gift, um, and then to share it with others, to go out and share it with the world in which we live. Um, I got a call the other day from, from a religious sisters uh, in order here in the United States, like, Father, we're bringing 1,800 sisters to the Congress. Can we have Mass at St. John's? And I'm like, oh my gosh. I, I mean, just the idea that there'll be thousands of religious sisters and, and brothers and priests and bishops and cardinals. Um, and then the laity, the faithful laity coming, and hopefully some that are really questioning, like, do I really believe this or what my parents taught me will be here as well. Um, and so, what you know, with the I just keep saying, let's not get in the way of God. Let's let him do his work here and let, you know, we'll be his instruments and, and amazing, miraculous things are going to happen. Um, we won't have time for enough podcasts for all the conversion stories after this, so we pray. So tell us a little bit about, um, I know there was a point in your life where you had a pretty severe illness. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, uh, I was 32 years old. I was diagnosed with testicular cancer. Um, it was obviously, as anyone can imagine, it was quite a shock. Um, at that time, that's when I was training to go into the career I'm in right now. So I was in the best health of my life. I was you know, in the mm. best shape of my life. It was nothing that, uh, you know, I had any kind of history of anything. Um, so, yeah, I was, it was essentially out of nowhere. Um, I lived my entire life for the career I'm in right now. And 
I was three months away from it, and I got diagnosed right wow. before I left. So, and it was, you know, so it kind of, you know, could wreck anyone's world. That could really tear you down and you know, rip you apart. But where I was at that time, um, I, I was really, really coming back. I was really strong in the faith. I was receiving sacraments. Uh, I was attending mass now more than once a week, uh, receiving the Eucharist more than once a week. And I, I just, I don't know if I was in shock, but I just remember having this overwhelming feeling that I'm going to be okay. Um, and I, I, there was a friend of mine, I remember I was living in Memphis at that time, and he was like, well, if I found that out, I just would have curled up in a ball in a dark place, and I just would have withered away. Mm. And I just remember, quite honestly, being so sad for him, because I was just like, I, yeah. and he, wasn't, he wasn't of the faith, it was just the opposite, and I, I can understand that feeling when you feel like you don't have you know, God in your life. Um, but I just remember thinking, and I just remember actually thanking God that it was me that got diagnosed. And a lot of people think that's kind of a strange way to go about it, but I just was like, thanks that it wasn't my mother, that it wasn't my father, that it wasn't my sister or my nephews or anyone else I loved and cared about because I know that he was giving me the strength to overcome this. And I was just, I was at peace with it. Like, I didn't know if I was going to survive it or not, but I knew no matter what, I'm still going to be okay. And that is... It's, it's just amazing how that was because if that would have happened maybe a year ago when I wasn't quite strong in my faith, it could have been a different outcome. I don't know. I, I, I may have been that person crawled up in a ball in a dark place in the, yeah. in the corner. Yeah, God, God allowed that in your life at a time where he knew he, um, that you were with him and, and that you would journey with him through that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I just remember always being at peace with it. Um, yeah, and it was, that's only because of, of, of the faith, of the Eucharist, of all the sacraments, of just God himself, uh, and that's how much he loves us. Amen to that. Gosh, he, you know, through thick and thin, we know that um, he is present to us, really present to us in the Holy Eucharist, and um, when we're joyful, he, you know, he helps us to amplify that, that fruit of the Spirit of joy through the Holy Eucharist. When we're sorrowful, when we're struggling, we we turn to him over and over again to, to help us through those tough times. I, I just love, you know, all the, your, the those early saints that were persecuted for believing in Christ and the Holy Eucharist that literally, you know, gave their lives um, because they were so sure. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what my hope is for, for people today that, you know, are, you know, floundering around out there in life that, you know, just come home to the Holy Church. You may not have the best homilies in the world every Sunday. You may not have the best music every Sunday. You may not have, you know, but, but who cares about that? Well, we do care about that. I, <laughs> yeah, we do care about that. I'll, you don't got to worry I'll about keep, that. Fun. You keep, get great homilies. Thank you. I'll keep working on the homilies. And we have great music here at St. John's as well. But, but most important is, like, that we get to receive Jesus and his word um, in the Holy Eucharist. And so what more? I mean, you know, you can't be entertained somewhere else. Um, and, and that triumph, Trump, triumph this, or, you know, be out in the woods praying and say, well, that's, that's all I need to do. I don't need to go to Sunday Mass. No, it's a, um, he's, this gift is, is such a priceless gift. It's that pearl, you know, that's been uh, dug out, you know, uh, found out in the field and needs to be embraced uh, by everybody. Thomas, in, in wrapping up today with our Eucharistic Revival podcast, number one, what advice would you give, uh, what words would you say to somebody that's um, maybe where you were and, you know, maybe a fallen away Catholic or on hold in their Catholic lives? What would you say to them, uh, knowing what you know now? Yeah, no, what I know now, what I would say is that uh, you're never too far gone. You're never too far away. 
Um, I, you know, the devil likes to play his tricks. And I remember when I was deep into it, um, you know, I didn't feel worthy or you already screwed up enough. You already, you've done too much damage. God's not going to take you back. Mm. Um, you're never too far, uh, far away. You're, you're, you're one confession. You're, you're one, one communion, uh, one mass away um, from, from starting the, you know, the journey back to God. And I remember when I made that decision, when I, I simply just turned around towards the light instead of away from it, first person there to greet me was our Lord. He was right there, and um, he, wasn't, he wasn't upset. He wasn't prideful. He wasn't, you know, vindictive. He uh, was embracing and uh, welcoming um, and opened his arms up to me and said, you know, welcome, welcome back. And that's kind of the feeling uh, that I get um, every time I come to communion. It's, it's that welcoming, welcome back, and, uh, you know, and it gives me the strength to keep going. So don't, don't ever feel like it's, you're a lost cause. Um, I will tell you, it's not going to happen immediately where all of a sudden everything's, everything's okay, but it's, it doesn't end until we take our last breath, you know, so like it's the, the, the battle continues, but knowing that we have, uh, you know, we have Jesus, uh, we have the Eucharist, um, we have the tools to, to fight this daily, so, and just, just don't ever, don't ever feel like uh, you, can't, you can't come back because, you know, people often see me now and they're just like, oh, no, no, it was, you know, must have been easy for you, this and that. Um, it, it wasn't. I was about as far gone as, as someone could be. And, uh, and here I am, you know, here being you asked are. to be on a podcast. Uh, That's all. <laughs> and I got, got Jesus right, right behind me. So it's, uh, it's amazing. So yeah, it's, he's always got our back. That's exactly, what I was, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, 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 he's got our back here for sure. And, you know, I love, I love that invitation that you just extended, you know, to people um, that, you know, maybe may listen to this. And, um, and, and just the, the fact that... Um, Sometimes when people are starting to come back, they come to a church and it's, it's locked. And I remember that myself. I'm like, oh, I go to church. I want to go and pray. And it was locked. It was locked. It was locked. So I, I want to encourage you know, everybody out there too today just to encourage their pastors to open up the doors of their church so they can get in and offer confession and offer you know, this uh, chance for people to return home. Um, it's one of the greatest gifts that we can give as, as pastors and as, as church. Um, just to be able to to be open and to welcome people home, um, no matter where they've been. I'm a product of that. You're a product of that. And neither one of us would be sitting here today if it wasn't for great, God's great love and mercy Absolutely. and the Holy Eucharist um, that fortified us as kids. And we we you know we our parents loved us enough to bring us to the church um, to help us to know our Catholic faith. And when we were lost, we knew what to look for. We knew we knew where to return home. So. Um, so we're, we're very grateful for that. Um, today, as we, we launch this first podcast, I wanted to bring, I think uh, th- this is uh, a relic, as it's from St. John Paul II to uh, Archbishop Daniel Beekline, who is the, the bishop who ordained me, who's now passed away. So I believe he's probably a saint, so it's probably a double relic is what it is. And uh, this was given to uh, Archbishop Daniel on one of his visits to the Vatican uh, which St. John Paul II. So I wanted to kind of dedicate this podcast to two men who have been uh, just great warriors in the faith and their time of serving the church. Uh, great inspiration uh, to me, I know uh, to you as well. And, um, and so as we close today in prayer, I just want to uh, thank God for all those faithful shepherds and uh, people who have, uh, who have helped us along the way, not the least our own parents and grandparents. Let's, uh, let's close in a prayer in the name of the Father and the Son. Holy Spirit, amen. Good and gracious Lord, we know your presence with us this day in the Holy Eucharist and the tabernacle. 
we know that you love us so much that you gave us uh, your only son uh, to remain with us, to strengthen us, to fortify us, to be our source and summit of our lives so that we might become saints one day. Lord, we just thank you for this time that you've given us to um, share a reason for our hope, especially as Thomas has shared some of his story uh, and a reason for his hope in you. Uh, we ask that this would be a great fruit for others who may be away from you or do not know you, uh, do not know your real presence in the Holy Eucharist, this unfathomable gift that you have given us. Uh, we pray for the re revival uh, here locally and throughout the nation and for the Eucharistic Congress coming to this city in July of 2024. Uh, may countless lives and souls be saved for you uh, through this great, uh, great outreach and ministry this great uh, historic time in the world in which we live. And uh, may we be great instruments here at St. John's and through our own lives to um, just to share this good news with others. Uh, Lord, open doors and we will continue to get out of the way uh, so that you can do your good work. And as we close this, this, this uh, wonderful first launching podcast, bless Thomas and Casey Del Coco and their family and their good work for you. May they, their lives continue to glorify you and reflect you in all ways. And we ask all this through Christ our Lord and through the intercession of St. John the Evangelist, our patron, St. John Paul II, uh, my former Archbishop, uh, Archbishop Daniel Beekline, may he rest in peace. And through the intercession of our Blessed Mother Mary and St. Joseph, as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. And may Almighty God bless all of you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Till next time, uh, may the Eucharist fortify us all. We look forward to um, just sharing that good news. Go forth and give a reason for your hope as well. Thank you. Thanks, Thomas. Good work. It's fun. First podcast. <laughs>